Today on Shtetl on the Shortwave, we're talking about freedom and bondage. Imagine a satyr in maximum security or what life is like after prison in a halfway house. Uh, today, it's all about Jews in prison on the special Passover edition of Shtetl on the Shortwave. If you'd like to listen to this or past episodes of Shtetl, you can go to iTunes or shtetlmontreal.com. Welcome to Shtetl on the Shortwave. Tonight is the first night of Passover, and Jews around the world are going to be celebrating with a Seder, a festive meal that commemorates the story of the exodus from Egypt. And there are many ways that people can be enslaved psychologically, physically, for political reasons. And today we're going to be talking about Jews who are literally imprisoned, Jews in the prison system. And uh, this was a perfect uh, song by Durando, Let My People Go, to start off the show today. Uh, we're going to be talking with Rhonda Moskowitz. She's the director of a film called Shashuva, or Return. And the whole uh, premise of the film is looking at life of Jews in the prison system in the United States. And she spent 10 years documenting uh, these men and women. And we're going to hear from her about that experience. And on the second half of the show, we're going to be hearing from Montreal-based journalist Marley Wasser, who went to visit a very special halfway house here in Montreal called Maison Belfield and uh, hung out with some of the men and the rabbi that uh, that are at Maison Belfield and brought us along for the journey. So stay tuned for, for that on the second half of Shtetl on the Shortwave. And of course, as always, lots of great music uh, during the show. So we're going to go to this first clip of Rhonda Moskowitz. She has been documenting... Jews in the prison system for 10 years, and I asked her why it was that she felt drawn to, to this, this work that she's been so dedicated to, and this is what, uh, what she had to say. Take a listen. I read an article in the New York Times, there are no miracles here, about the Jews in Sing Sing celebrating Hanukkah, and I just felt it was a extremely compelling how Jews identify as Jews and practice Judaism inside such a difficult uh, environment, such as a prison. There was a rabbi, Charles Rudansky, mentioned in the article, and I called him and I said, I think this might be a good idea for a film. And he said, you should come to the prison. So I went to the prison. And I'd never been in a prison before, and it is the mother load of all prisons. It's New York State's largest maximum security prison. Ethel and Julius Rosenberg had been executed there. There were many Jewish gangsters that had been there in the 30s through the 50s. And the superintendent, he happened to be Jewish, and he gave me access. So that was really amazing, frankly, uh, because I was independent. And I never made a film before. So I went inside and I actually filmed a Passover Seder. What was that experience like for you? What was it like watching a Seder in prison? It was so fascinating because here you have the irony of the celebration of freedom and deliverance. And you had... Jews who were locked up, and some of them were going to be locked up for many, many years. And, um, you know, they were slaves in, 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 I guess, 
you would call it spiritually. They were spiritually imprisoned, emotionally imprisoned. At least they were when they committed their crimes. That, that's how I view it. And, you know, some of them were in various stages um, when I met them. And there were different crimes and uh, that they had committed, which I didn't know anything about them when I first started to film The Seder. And it was a very moving experience. Did witnessing The Seder and being part of it affect how you felt about Passover from then on? Totally. Totally. I've never viewed Passover the same way. I've actually filmed two different satyrs now in two different prisons, and they were totally different because Sing Sing actually has a Jewish community. There was a longtime rabbi um, who was a rabbi there for 50 years before he retired, and he built a Jewish chapel in the basement of the prison um, in a very large a storage closet, and the prisoners built it, and he had chairs donated from a local movie theater, and he had brought a Torah for the prisoners to use, and Florida, where I filmed the Seder in Tomoka, which is another maximum security prison, there were very few Jews. There were prisoners who were not Jewish who observed the Jewish holidays, and so with that Seder... It wasn't, there was no Jewish chapel. It was actually in a room where there were paintings of Jesus on the wall. There was no rabbi at the service. The prisoner who I had been filming in Tomoka, Charles Johnson, tried to enlist a rabbi to come to the prison, and no rabbi would come. He wrote to all different synagogues in the area, and so a Unitarian minister was there. Interesting. Is that somehow reflective of the response that a lot of prisoners get from rabbis in the community? One thing that surprised me, I suppose I should have expected it, but I didn't expect it, was the reaction of Jews in the larger community here in the United States. When I tell people I'm making a film about Jewish prisoners, they 95% of them think I'm making a film about the Holocaust. Jewish, modern-day Jewish prisoners are just off people's radar. The veil of secrecy and the, the extent that this population is hidden really surprised me. And what also surprised me was the irrational button of shame that the subject matter pushes in people. And people who are normally social justice-minded and liberal, they have uh, an emotional negative reaction, just the idea that I'm making a film about Jewish prisoners. Not everybody is like this, but there are quite a few. And, And actually, I had one rabbi. He was a retired rabbi from Westchester County in New York who actually was yelling at me. That, that I was making a film and that I had more, I was trying to find funding, and he yelled at me that I would have more, better luck funding a film on Jews with leprosy, and only anti-Semites would fund my film. This was shocking, but he mm-hmm. maybe expressed something that people feel. How is it that you find compassion for the prisoners that you've met, in, especially if in some cases they've committed violent crimes? I'm not actually sure how or even why. Um, When I went to Sing Sing, the first person I met was this prisoner, Dr. Charles Freegood, and he had, I found out later, he he was a successful Long Island surgeon. There was even a book written about him. It was back in the 70s called The Healer, and he had murdered his wife, and he tried to run off with his mistress, who he had fathered a child with, who was a nurse in his office. And I was just shocked to have met somebody that had killed someone else. And then I met other prisoners who had committed murder in Sing Sing, and I grew very fond of them. And I originally thought something might be wrong with me because I was fond of these people who had committed horrible crimes and who had taken lives. And then I saw the humanity in them, and none of them were evil people. They, and they, their murders were committed under all different circumstances for all different reasons. I just 
for some reason, and I don't know why, was able to get past their crimes and see all their different facets. And what also surprised me was the desire to help others that was that lay within the prisoner prisoners. And one thing that was also taken away from them was their ability to do good in the world at large. You know, when you're locked up and you're punished, you also really, unless there are prison programs, um, there's very little opportunities to do mitzvahs. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And why do you feel that it's important for the Jewish community to hear stories about Jews in prison? A lot of the prisoners are more like themselves than they realize. You know, there were some, my daughter went, attended Jewish day school. There were prisoners in there who could be the parents of her classmates or other students in the school. And that was surprising. Um, a lot of the prisoners are going to get out. So there's going to be, you know, you want them, you don't want them to commit other crimes and go back into prison. And some of the prisoners actually did teshuva, and they had really changed, and they took responsibilities for their crimes, and they were really, you know, faced with, with temptations. I don't think that they would do the same thing again, um, some, some of them. And, all, and another reason is that the families need support. Every Jewish prisoner is either a father, a brother, a sister, a son, you know, a mother, a daughter. And the big question is, are we our brother's keeper? What are some of the hardships that Jewish prisoners face? Isolation. You know, some prisons, there are one or two Jews. So isolation is one of them. And also, a lot of times, they're punished not only for their crimes, but they're punished for being Jewish. Um, it could be overt anti-Semitism, or it could be very subtle. How does anti-Semitism manifest itself in, in the prison? Well, it's been documented, you know, in places like California and, and different prisons that there are gangs. There are, there are you know, the Aryan Brotherhood and um, white supremacist gangs inside prisons. And, you know, there could be subtle subtle ways and um, from other prisoners or from guards. And a lot of that could be just not having met Jews. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there are parts of the country where people have never met Jews, so there's anti-Semitism. Um, and then there are issues of being a religious observance. And that's, that's been thorny, and that's varied from state to state. There have been different lawsuits, you know, about Jews not being able to eat kosher food, wearing tzitzis if they want to, and these are all very interesting issues, too. You know, the, the Jewish Family and Children's Services, there's no organized reentry programs. Um, two of the prisoners I filmed in Florida, it was their uh, young parents of a small child. The child was two years old when I started filming um, the two prisoners, and both, both the parents were incarcerated during the child's, almost the whole child's second year of life. There were no support services for the child. Um, when, the, when the young father and the young mother were each released at different times, there were no support services from the Jewish community to help them with any financial help, with any job reentry, um, just general support. And I, I thought that was a shame. So that was Rhonda Moskowitz talking about her uh, her experiences in the prison system in the United States, and we're going to hear more from her, but we're going to take a break first. If you're interested in finding out about her work, her film, and finding out about some of the work, amazing work, that other activists and some rabbis and writers are doing, it's all compiled at her blog. It's an incredible blog, jewishprisoners.org, and I'd really recommend checking that out. Uh, we're going to take a little break to hear my favorite Passover song of all time. This is Louis Armstrong, and we'll be back on Shtetl on the Shortwave in just a moment.
let my people go. Oppressed so hard they could not stand. Let my people go. So the Lord said, go down. Go down. Moses. Moses. Way, way down. Down in Egypt land. Tell old Pharaohs to let my people go. Let my people go. So Moses went to Egypt land. Let my people go. He made old Pharaoh understand. Let my people go. Yes, the Lord said, go down. Go down. Moses. Moses. Let my people go Let my people go Thus spoke the Lord Bold Moses said Let my people go If not, I'll smite your firstborn dead Let my people go the Lord said, go down, go down, Moses, Moses, way, way down, down in Egypt land, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. David Grunwald, the owner of the Montreal Matzo Factory. I'd like to wish all the listeners of the Shtetl on the shortwave happy Passover, Chag Sameach. Thank you for supporting us from Montreal Matzo Bakery. Welcome back to Shtetl on the Shortwave, the special Passover edition. And uh, that was uh, Louis Armstrong, Go Down Moses. Such a beautiful song. I love playing it every single year on Passover. And we're going to hear uh, one more clip from Rhonda Moskowitz. She is a research associate at the Hadassah Brandeis Institute at Brandeis University and will also be coming this summer to Lemud. Lemud is a festival of Jewish arts and culture and learning. It's the second year that it's going to be happening and there are tons of great talks and I think that Rhonda Moskowitz is definitely going to be a highlight and you'll be able to ask her questions all about what uh, her experience has been in the prison system. We're going to hear more about that right now. Uh, one of the main characters of Rhonda's film was a Jew who was on death row. His name is Martin Grossman and I asked her if she could tell us a little bit about him. Martin Grossman is a fascinating case. Martin Grossman, when he was 19 years old, he shot a fish and wildlife officer, Peggy Parks, and it was a very violent murder. And 
he was on drugs and alcohol, and he was with a friend, and he had already been a very troubled youth. He had committed some petty burglaries. He was on probation and he or parole. He was on parole, and he was in the woods, and he walked into a different county without realizing it. Well, in the woods, and she came upon him and threatened to turn him in, and she was only 26 years old. And he got the death penalty. So Martin was on death row for 26 years. And what was fascinating, and he's very controversial because of the crime he committed. And what happened was I had filmed him four times on death row. And when Charlie Chris signed his death warrant, the Orthodox and Hasidic community rallied to his defense, and there was an online petition of 35, with 35,000 signature, signatures to Charlie Crist, the governor of Florida, to grant Martin a 30-day stay. Alan Dershowitz got involved, the attorney, Ellie Wiesel sent a fax, and it didn't work. But what happened was he was a murderer, but he died in the eyes of the Orthodox and Hasidic community, a Baal Teshuva, a holy man. And this, to me, was just fascinating. So I decided after he was executed, you know, I went down there and I stayed with the family, and I filmed the family before and after the execution. I filmed his funeral and burial, and I thought he deserved his own film. What was he like? What was it like spending time with him? Well, he looked like a monster, his appearance, when I first filmed him. And he had, he's a very large man. He's, he's, he's big. He's tall, and he's just large. And he happened to have a tumor on his neck that was huge. So he also had this big lump on his neck when I first filmed him. So it took me a little while, and I had never, I had been, I had filmed in prisons before, but I had never filmed on death row. So that was a, a bit of a shock to me, and I had to get used to that. So the first time, I was basically in shock. Um, but he was not the monster that his crime made him out to be. And what I really wanted to know was how could he have spent all this time on death row and not be insane? And how could he hang on to Judaism and observe Judaism in profound isolation? That was my question. And because when you're on death row, you're alone in your cell. And he was actually afraid to go outside. I think, I don't remember how often they were allowed to go outside for about an hour, and he never did. Because he, he murdered the equivalent of a police officer, um, he was afraid somebody would shoot him. So he just never went outside, except if he had to go to the hospital or go to a court hearing. Those are the only times. So he spent 26 years on death row and spent most of that time alone? Yes. Wow. Yes. Was he connected to a rabbi or did he have visits from a chaplain? There's an organization called the Aleph Institute, and they're the only Jewish organization in the country that has a concerted effort to help and advocate for Jews in prison. And, you know, by standards of what needs to be done, they're small. And uh, they have, you know, a few people on staff, but they send volunteers across the country, and a lot of the volunteers are young yeshiva students. And um, they're Hasidic, and there's a rabbi there, Menachem Katz, who is, he's, a, he's an amazing person, and he's the head of the Aleph Institute's prison program. And he had gone to visit Martin, but I would say, or, or send uh, the yeshiva students in maybe, or young rabbis, a couple times a year maybe. Hmm. And that was it. Um, he did have a mother who went to go visit him, and his mother's uh, sister, his aunt, 
would go visit him, but it would be it was a long drive for them, so it would be every three months or so. Hmm. So his relationship to Judaism was one that he developed mostly on his own. Yes, in prison, exactly. And I think the Aleph Institute helped. Um, they would try to advocate for for him when he had trouble getting Passover meals delivered to his cell, which he did up until his last Passover. Did he talk to you, and does he talk in the film about how he connected to the different holidays? Passover seems particularly poignant, seeing as it's all about freedom. Did he talk about that at all? I was talking more about Yom Kippur, because my film is called Return, and in parentheses, Teshuva, because my premise is that everyone is capable of this. Mm -hmm. I talked to him more about redemption in his relationship to God and his relationship to, you know, how he viewed his crime, um, how he viewed himself, how he observed Judaism on death row. So I didn't specifically talk too much about Passover. There was no Seder. And he did have trouble, you know, he would petition, there was a lot of bureaucracy, he would petition the chaplain for Passover meals, once in a while, he would get them some years. There were many years he didn't get them. He would send me the forms. And it was, it was just a bureaucratic tangle. You know, the chaplain would email him back, I didn't get this form, or I didn't get this on time, or you didn't fill this out when you sent this to me, that type of thing. So I don't remember actually talking to him about the, the concept of him being behind bars and celebrating freedom it would make sense talking about Yom Kippur and redemption yes yeah how do you personally feel about your experiences with the prisoners like how does it affect you I have to say one more thing that has really struck me about the Jewish prisoners is the triumph of the human spirit you know they they've done really bad crimes, some of them murder, some of them, you know, stole, they've stolen money. Um, the young father uh, in my film is an Oxycontin addict, and he stole his aunt's credit card, his mother's jewelry, you know, to support his drug habit. They're just, um, they've really hurt people. You know, Martin Grossman committed murder, and Martin Grossman committed his murder. Two families' lives were ruined, his family and, and Peggy Park's family. But despite what they did, somehow some of them worked through it and really turned their lives around and did teshuva. And that, to me, is remarkable. How does visiting these prisoners and spending time with them personally affect you? Oh, it's completely, I've completely changed. My life will never be the same. How I view anybody is completely different. Um, you know, I've, I've met all, people from all walks of life in prison. And, you know, I've met doctors, I've met lawyers, I've met accountants, even rabbis. And then, you know, people who are working class. And... Once they're in prison, they're kind of all on the same playing field. And so now on the outside, I'm not impressed by people's professions. I don't look down on people's professions. I don't look up to people's professions. I don't, uh, it doesn't make any difference what class they are, if they're upper class, if they're middle class, if they're working class. I've really come to view how people are inside and what their character is like. And people are so complicated. It just never fails to surprise me how screwed up people can get, and it never fails to surprise me how fantastic, how wonderful people can become and how much they can change. And I just don't define people by one aspect of their lives. Well, um, I guess if I had one last question to ask you, what would you suggest people think about this year at their Passover Seder? Is there anything that you would recommend they meditate upon or contemplate about in terms of the issue of Jews in prison? Wow. 
Um, I would like people to have compassion because for every Jew in prison, there's an empty Seder plate at their family's table. And so I'd like people to have compassion to really view Jews in prison as having the capacity to do teshuva and experience redemption. So that was Rhonda Moskowitz, and she's a very special lady. Uh, The conversation that I had with her lasted well over an hour, and I felt like all of it could have been broadcast on the show today. Um, So I really recommend that people, first of all, go check out her blog, jewishprisoners.org. She's still trying to raise money to finish her film. Um, She's got all the footage, but the post-production costs are great, and, and there's a button on her blog where you can donate to the project if that would interest you but also learn about uh, some of the personal stories there's some incredible letters on the blog uh, from Jewish prisoners and uh, some of the responses from chaplains it's uh, it's very meaningful work that she's doing as an amateur documentary filmmaker she's never made a film before and she has other work that she that she she does so um, I hope you'll go check that out and definitely come hear her this summer at Lamoud. I think we're very uh, lucky to be having her come here to Montreal. So we're going to take a break and don't go away because we're going to be back uh, to hear Marley Wasser's conversation with Rabbi Zilverstein and with Martin and Jeff at Maison Belfield. It's very candid conversation, very touching at, at moments and also very funny too. Um, some, some very humorous guys over there. So don't go away. We're going to take a break and listen to some music, hear an ad, and we'll be back on the Passover edition of Shtetl on the Shortwave. This next song is a lighthearted song, and it's from a great collection that I've been playing uh, the past couple of months. It's called Songs for the Jewish American Jet Set, the Tikva record story, and it's all music that was produced between 1950 and 1973. And the song that we're going to hear right now is by Bernie Me, and it's Passover Time on the Range. In the land of the purple sage, Where the Lone Ranger is all the rage Every year without fail I return to the trail And I'll do it till I die of old age I'm heading for the prairie Where the laws are dietary Cause it's Passover time out on the range where a cowhand never joshes When he's singing the fear cautious And cedar is held around a campfire for a change Give me lots of yippee-yay Lots of matzo yippee-yay Let me eat until I've had my fill And get a stomachache Drink lechaim yippee-yay With cactus wine yippee-yay Even if we stuff there's not enough to rattlesnake I'm heading for the prairie where the laws are dietary cause it's Passover time out on the range where bomb mitzvahs a saloon that serves a beer with macaroon and eggs are laid hard by kosher chicks and no one thinks it's strange give me lots of yippee lots of matzo yippee loaded with gehakta buffalo it's there for one and all drink lechaim yippee with cactus wine yippee then you'll start to dance to an old square dance at the Pesach we're back on Shtetl on the Shortwave, and that was a really fun yippee-yay-yay song by Bernie Nee. Uh, I actually think you can find the clip on YouTube. Check it out. It's Passover time on the range. And uh, now we're going to go to the second half of that was uh, a conversation between journalist Marley Wasser and... Martin and Jeff and the rabbi at Maison Belfield, a very special place in Montreal. I'm going to let the rabbi introduce it to you. So take a listen. 
Uh, my name is Rabbi Zushi Silverstein. I'm actually what they call a lifer. I've already a 30-year sentence. I've been visiting jails for the last 34 years and uh, here in Quebec. And I'm still doing this. I'm still going to visit on a weekly basis to the provincial local jails. And uh, we have a uh, halfway house, a welcoming house, which is run by us, by Chabad of Chabanel. It's called Maison Belfield. It's a community center supported by individuals who feel the importance of giving uh, people who have had their challenges in life to give them an opportunity to start life on a better footing. But this is a unique halfway house, and do you want to explain why? Actually, yes, it's unique. It's the only one like this in North America. It's the only Jewish halfway house existing. In North America, for sure, there is none like it. But it's not only for people who were who were in jail. It's also for people who have all kinds of needs, addictions. Uh, we offer a home for somebody who is battling addictions but uh, and needs a sober living environment with a support system around it. This is what we do. While Marley was there at Maison Belfield talking with the very lovely Rabbi Silverstein in the room was also Martin and Jeff, and uh, this is what Martin had to say about uh, Maison Belfield. I've been to regular halfway houses, and believe me, they're nothing like this. What makes this one so special? Because this is more like family, where it's not family in the other ones. There you know you're in a halfway house, because, you know, if you sneeze funny, they pull you back in prison. Marley spoke with uh, Martin and Jeff about a lot of different things, but she focused a bit on uh, on Passover and asked Martin if he had any good memories of of Passover. I don't mind the Passover Seder, but prison in general I want to forget. You know, I don't want to have Passover in prison ever again. Ever. I'll have Passover at Rabbi Zusha's house. I'll have Passover at my own house. I'll have Passover here. It's not so much forgetting the Passover prison, it's forgetting prison, period. Because it's not a nice place to be. It's not a nice place to go. It's not nice. You don't want to go there. I don't recommend it. It's not a place for a vacation. It really isn't. So prison is not a nice place for a vacation. Uh, <laughs> there are a lot of gems from Martin, and you're going to hear more. He's, uh, he's actually quite inspiring, and in this next clip, he talks about being Jewish in jail. Yeah, I remember, sure, I remember some of the times that we spent, you know, eating matzah, doing prayer, okay, I remember that. Uh, were, you, were you the only Jew that time, that first time? No, well, there was other Jews. In the beginning, there was, there was, at one time in Bordeaux, there was like six of us in Bordeaux. At once, a couple of times. But for your first Seder, was it your idea that you wanted to? We did, it just worked out that way, that's all. We were able to coax the guards and the system into letting us have it. I'm Seder with my family. I remember prison, I'm trying to forget it very quickly. It's becoming all foggy and phasey because I'm never going back. You know, it's a pleasure and it's a very nice thing to go spend Passover with Rabbi Zisha at his house. Every time you were in, in prison and a, and a Passover was coming by, did you make sure that you marked it in some way? When, when, when Passover was there, I do my Passover, you know, I eat my much for eight days, I do what I'm supposed to do, I don't eat bread, you know, I, I read from my sitter if I have one, usually I do have one. It's fine, it works. Okay. You don't need a whole, you don't need eight people. I mean, if you only have yourself, this is what you do. You you do it by yourself. So there wasn't a single year that, that you missed Passover? No, I don't miss Passover. I don't miss Passover. I don't miss Yom Kippur. I don't miss Rosh Hashanah. I don't miss Jewish holidays. It's the only thing that I have in prison. You know, I'm still Jewish. Passover, there was a certain time of in the Jewish calendar where you're celebrating freedom especially. Mm-hmm. Did that theme ever seem odd for you to celebrate? To be free is a gift, okay, not, not a right, not because, hey, I, I, I'm out, I'm free, because I deserve it. It's a gift, and you have to cherish it as much as you can, because it can be taken away from you any time, by any way, whether prison or by death. Take your pick. So, you know, this, this time around, when we do the Passover meal, it's going to mean even more, even more. Marley spoke to uh, another another man. They were all sitting in the same room with the rabbi, and this other man is Jeff, and he talks in this clip about what brought him to Maison Belfield. Well, what attracted me, first of all, in general, 
was when I got out of the jail, I didn't want to go back to my old lifestyle, my old patterns. So that's number one. Number two, I met uh, Rabbi Silberstein about two months before I got out. Uh, started to look forward to every Friday that uh, we would go see him. There was about nine, ten of us all together. And two of us were from, were, there was me and another guy. Well, actually, it was kind of interesting how it all played out. Because uh, in the G block in, uh, in, in Bordeaux, there's 16 sectors. And I got transferred into the, into G6, which is here and over there. But there was the only other Jew in the whole sector was in there. And then we ended up together. And uh, because at that point, I hadn't stated to anybody that I was Jewish or uh, I was just uh, I was eating the regular food. I was uh, a regular inmate. And uh, in all my bits that I've done, I've never uh, asked for kosher. I've never asked for, uh, I just did my time and, uh, you know. I wasn't really aware about kosher, the rabbi, and all this and that, and we started talking, and uh, he's the one who, who well, I'll say, oh, you know, why don't you come see the rabbi this Friday, this, and it started like that. And then I met the rabbi, I met the other guys, and then uh, every Friday I went, eventually got the kosher meal, and... Just sounds like how a lot of uh, university students get coerced into going to Shabbat dinners by their Jewish roommates. <laughs> sounds pretty similar story. And uh, so there, I was trying to look for something anyway, like a safe uh, place where I can go to, to restart my life, basically. And uh, when I found out that uh, Rabbi Silverstein had a transition house, it was Jewish, and uh, I said, well, okay, this, this sounds, uh, sounds interesting. And uh, I talked to him about it, took the proper uh, channels to cut, get here the day I got out, and then uh, here I am. So that was Jeff uh, talking with Marley Wasser at Maison Belfield. And we're going to go back to Martin now. And in in the previous, uh, the first half of the show, we talked with Rhonda Moskowitz. And uh, a lot of the things that she said I found were reflected in what in what the men were saying at Maison Belfield. And in particular, um, she talked about the difficulty that one can have in getting any rights while you're in prison. And Martin talks about that in this clip. They are not allowed to refuse you for social and religious development. So by saying that, I ask for Passover meals. I ask for my Passover stock, my basket for Passover. But did you did you come across other Jewish people through the system? Sometimes, who, yeah, yeah. Maybe who weren't aware of what they sure. were able to do? Yes, like, well, lots of Jews I, I know. But now uh, I've what I did at St. Anne is I basically opened the door so... The priest there, who was became friendly with me, I, I, I used to talk, and I said, if another Jew comes through, you make sure that he can get his Passover meals. He says, don't worry, Martin, I'll take care of it. So it's done. So a guy who comes into Saint Anne the Plain has a chance to get his Passover or his Purim or whatever he needs. Just pass it on and do the right thing. I like doing the right thing. I like doing the right thing better now than I ever did. Yeah, because of people you've met. I've met a lot of interesting people. Scary people, too. <laughs> Very scary, <laughs> unfortunately. So I think that what Rhonda said earlier about the desire to do good things while you're in prison, you really hear that in, in, Martin's, uh, in Martin's story. And, and he had an opportunity, a way to, to do something positive for other Jewish prisoners, which is really amazing. In this next clip, which is pretty funny, Martin talks about Jewish identity with Marley. Do you plan to stay part of the Jewish community? I don't know. Maybe. I'll keep in touch with that position. We'll go from there. I'm not ultra-religious, and I probably never will be. Like I said, I like cheeseburgers. And I've had pork, and I actually like it. But that's besides the point. I'm a butcher, so I mean, I know that pork is actually cleaner than beef. You can't tell that to a religious person. You've had bacon prefer, haven't you? <laughs> yes, okay, so I rest my case. It's just a matter, okay, yes, it's good Thank to fall. What? I'm honest. You're going to say that onto She's going to cut that anyway, so, <laughs> so she, she can't put that down. I mean, that's, that's a bad thing to say, dude. Um, it's just, look, it's nice to keep in touch with as much as you can. But, you know, my religious beliefs is, okay, I believe very simply that I don't believe that you have to go to synagogue to pray to God because I don't believe God is, 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 is at just that synagogue. 
So I, my, my, my relationship with God is on a different plane than, than anybody else, I guess. That's how I am. Also, I'm pretty mad at God at the moment, so that's another problem. So I really appreciate uh, Martin's candor. And, and like he just said at the end, I'm pretty mad at God. And how many people are, are admitting that? He's pretty funny. And I hope, Martin, if you're listening, I hope you don't mind that we actually played that clip. And uh, we're all human. And I think a lot of Jewish people happen to eat pork. Not everybody. But uh, you're not alone. So uh, in this next clip, Martin talks about what it feels like for him to be out of jail and uh, what it means to him at this time of year. I'm very happy to be free. I'm very, very happy to be out. I'm very happy to have the chance to see what I can do. I'm, you know, I'm doing a lot of stuff now. I'm, I went through Employee Quebec. I'm going to go take a computer course and see where I can go with it. Everything's about changing. So uh, prison is out. Judaism is in at the moment, you know, and life is in, and freedom is the only way to be. You've had your freedom all your life. Would you like to be in a cage? No. You don't want to do anything to, to get into that situation. So that's how I feel. Exactly how you feel is the exact same way I feel. I'm, I'm curious if you're not doing uh, Passover next year with Maison Belfield family. Well, I will always do Passover probably with Rabbi Zusha because wherever I am, I always be in contact with Rabbi Zusha. And he says, Martin, come for Passover. I go. If it's not with him, maybe it's going to be with my friends. I have many friends. I have pro-social friends because I don't talk to my riffraff friends. At least I try not to because they're not friends. They're people that put me in a hater. That's Yiddish for jail, by the way. Okay, so... There's always a chance, you know. I like having Passover. You know, it would be nice if I could have Passover with what's left of my immediate family, but unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. But, you know, I have friends that I've known for 40 years. So I can have Passover dinners with them. Passover is a special time of year, and Martin had some great words. Prison is out, Judaism is in. I think that's definitely, uh, definitely the quote of this season. And I wanted to give the last word to the rabbi. And he talks about what happens this time of year and, and what his work is all about. Uh, take a listen. This is Rabbi Zilberstein at Maison Belfield. Actually, regarding the uh, Passover in the provincial jails, uh, what we have arranged is in Bordeaux, it's one of the jails, which is closest to the city, so to say, to the community. It's about a two-hour walk. Remember, on Passover, we can't travel. So we have young men from uh, Shiva Boys who they will go to the jail, and we will actually organize a Seder in the jail for the, say, the Jewish prisoners. We've been doing this for many years. This year, again, for both nights, they will be there on Friday night, and on Saturday night, uh, they will hold full Seders, with all the trimmings, with all the, obviously, the four cups, not wine, there will be grape juice, uh, with the matzah, with the, the whole traditional singing and the recital of the book, and a full meal, actually, which comes along with it also. And I have to say that the Bordeaux Jail, they're very nice about it, they accommodate us to every year to be able to hold the Seder properly. Uh, it's actually a special experience for the fellows who are in there. Uh, it gives them a taste of freedom while being inside these closed walls. Because uh, it's a moment where you detach from that reality of jail and you really feel as a person belonging like any other Jew at a Seder table, wherever they may do it. And that's a very, very powerful experience. And the guys always tell me when I see them after that, because I cannot be there myself. Uh, I have, do have a family, other obligations, but to do the Seder. But I've had all my children, actually, all my sons, they all went and they walked. They always, uh, they were there, they did it, and they came, and they uh, did a Seder. And uh, there's been occasions that my son came home at 1 o'clock past midnight because he organized the Seder there, and then he will sit down at home and make his own Seder only then. But uh, it is definitely a special moment for them to appreciate the fact that they're not forgotten, they're part of... They belong like any other Jew around the world. They're sitting at a Seder table. They sit at a Seder table too. 
So that was Rabbi Zilberstein, sounds like a really, really lovely man, and Maison Belfield sounds like a, a very important service, and incredibly, it's the only Jewish halfway house in all of North America. When we told Rhonda Moskowitz about it, she was quite surprised and delighted to hear that such a place actually exists. So it's really something to be proud of in our community here. And that brings us close to the end of Shtetl on the Shortwave for today. I really want to thank again Rhonda Moskowitz. Check out jewishprisoners.org and come see her this summer at Lamoud. To find out more about Lamoud, you can go to lamoud.ca. And also a big, big thank you to Marley Wasser for all the work she put into and for going to visit uh, Maison Belfield and getting those uh, those great interviews. So thank you to Marley and also, of course, to the men at Maison Belfield for being uh, open and honest and sharing their stories with us here on Shtetl on the Shortwave. If you want to read some more Passover content, there's going to be plenty this week at uh, Shtetl Magazine. So go to shtetlmontreal.com. There's a really fun short story by Joshua Levy up right now called A Passover Scandal about the Finkelsteins in Hampstead and the first night of their Passover Seder and of the Canadians' uh, playoffs against the Leafs and uh, mystery and uh, theft and matzo ball soup and all kinds of things happen in the stories. So so go read that. It's really, really funny. And we're going to go out on a light note. Martin mentioned that... uh, Prison was not a place to go for vacation, but maybe Portugal? This is uh, Mickey Katz, his classic song, Pesach in Portugal. Happy Passover, everybody, and come back in two weeks for another episode of Shtetl on the Shortwave. I'd love to spend the Pesach in Portugal, my dear. We'll dip there in Salzwasser, it's so close to the beer. We'll make a little Seder, my dear Bobby and Del Zayde. We'll have a ball of matzo ball as baby. We'll drink a glass of wine and sing a Langstein. With a toysle chayim from Uncle Hoyman. Yes, Uncle Hoyman. We'll sit cheek to cheek while I take a piece of pig. And steal from you a piece of big Hoyman. That's Martin's folks. Tante Rivke gave a grips in front of Uncle Sam. Please, a little louder, Rivke. I won't hold the facts, ma'am. So, darling, please come closer and pass the matzo briar. Mmm, such lovely delicious. Say it's a machai, eh? <laughs>